This morning, if you could turn to Numbers 13, uh, what we want to do is, uh, actually, you can go to 1 Corinthians 10. I apologize. And I, I even have mean that apology. But um, it's, it's welcome to all those who are visiting with us. I know there are some. And I shook this young man's hand up front earlier, and he's got such a big hand, I felt like a little child. And I'm not used to that, because normally that's the other way around. So, But it is wonderful to have the visitors with us. It's good to see you all. I... There are things that I believe this year that God wants us to go into that's going to take some of a shift, some of a change. And so what we're going to do for this month is I'm going to speak very honest, very straight, very transparent, and uh, just about Free Life Church itself. And we're going to take a, a month to focus on what I call body life. And, you know, the beginning of the year is a good time to do that. We ended last year with casting some vision. Um, but we need to speak about body life, where we are as a church, where are we going. The church is now 14 years old. That's 14 years. That's, that's well, next in February, 14 years. And some of you have been here for most of the time. And I think that, that there are certain promises that God has given us. There are certain things that God has spoken over us as a church that... Uh, we might need to change a little bit of the way we do things and, and who we are, in, not in terms of our core, not in terms of our vision, not in terms of who God says we are, but just our implementation and some of those things so that we can actually take a hold of the promises. Amen? And so, can I get one amen? Just one. Thank you. That's awesome. It helps, you know. And um, my whole life, I've been, I've had God's hand on me that doesn't make me special, but what I mean is I've grown up with it. Grown up seeing the power, the miracles, the signs and wonders, the people coming out of wheel, I grew up with that. And, uh, and so that's my greatest passion, and that always will be. That won't change, God's presence, uh, the presence of the Lord. That'll never change. But we also, as a body, have to just address and deal with body life, just like a family. And so we're going to do that in January because it helps us to know who we are and so as we look ahead, we also want to thank God for last year. So I'll give you a little brief summary of last year. We implemented ministry leaders for the first time. And that's just people that we see that there's something on. They don't have to be in the leadership of the church. They don't have to, in a sense, try to carry that with us. But there's something on them, like Bill and Beth, what they do. There's a lot that they do and many others. There's something on them that we want to breathe life into, yes? And we've never had that. And so we implemented that last year, which will continue to come to fruition this year. We launched life groups. There were many, many hours of behind-the-scenes work with administration, systems put in place in the cloud and other clouds and all those places, and Google and all those things that I try to understand. I understand, you know, I like the Bible because I can pick it up, I can read it, but um, some of those uh, technology, I should be young and know all those things. I, I know some. Uh, I know more sometimes than my mother and father, thank goodness. But luckily we have people that know much more than me and they help us with all of that. So we took time developing that. Uh, we took the summer to trust God for vision. And we spent a month on vision, which is to encounter, to encounter God, to equip, to equip God's people and to engage with the world and to engage here. We went through and we had children's church full time. We, uh, we have children coming to us from a community for the first time from a community that we've been spending years in. We actually now have them coming to us, which can I say is no small thing. We have kids that come here every week from Heritage Square. I celebrate that. I really do. I think it's fantastic. I think that's what the church is for. Amen? 
Uh, we have uh, my parents are being released further and further. Last year, as we know, we, uh, we released them to do other ministry. Last year, they went all over Europe. They broke into new territories they've never been in before last year. We play a part in that, friends. We play a role in that. And they broke open into whole new countries that they've never been in before. And we moved with partnerships. We changed some partnerships and began to dream new dreams. But for this year, the Lord has so far told me two things for this year. And the first one sounds like a rebuke, but it's not. It, it came as an encouragement. I feel like last year we addressed foundational issues. If you're building a building, you have to go back. We bought a house last year. And obviously one of the things you want to look at is you want to get someone who knows what they're talking about, like John Ganaway, to come and look at the foundations. Because if those are wrong, don't buy the house. It's just straightforward. So last year, I feel like we addressed foundational issues. You pour concrete into the cracks. You address it and you address it. And uh, this year, I feel like there's, you know, when you build a house, you have to now frame the rooms. I remember when they were building their, their warehouse. I helped, you frame the rooms. You have to draw it and you have to frame them. You have to build the studs and frame, frame the rooms. And I feel like that's where we are as a church. That this year, we have to do some framing. And it's not always attractive, but it's necessary. For us to walk into what God says we have to walk into, that's what we have to do. I mean, you cannot just start doing stuff in a, in a sense, a big warehouse, but nothing's in place. And so the word that God gave me for this year, he said to me, get your house in order. And I was like, okay, but that's what I felt. But that's what it would, it came across that way. Begin to build with structure and with order. Get your house in order. And the second one was the word mandate. God's been speaking to me about mandate, mandate. And I believe biblically, we're going to get into the word, but I need to say this. I believe biblically that God looks at a city church. I've always believed that. That's what you see in scripture. Yes, he hears our prayers as free life. He hears us as individuals. But I believe God is God of regions. He looks at certain regions. And you can see the demonic tries to counterfeit that with Daniel. There was a prince of Persia. There was a spirit over an area, over a region. And that's what you see in the kingdom of God. They're just counterfeiting what God does. The enemy can only counterfeit. He doesn't come up with stuff by himself. He just looks and tries to copy. But God is a God of regions, and that's why you look at in Scripture with the, the, the church in Ephesus, the church in Galatia. There was multiple little groups, and you see that today. In this city and in other cities, there are multiple, there always be multiple churches, always be multiple groups of believers that gather and worship together and look over the Word and do those kind of things, always. The first point is that we don't compete with each other. We don't fight each other. We don't look at each other while they do this because every church, I believe, has a specific mandate, God-given. If they take the time as a leadership to listen and to hear what is the mandate for them, what is the mandate for us, we have a specific mandate. When the churches are competing with each other, the enemy doesn't have to do anything. Hello? That's the best thing. If your enemy fights each other, you just watch. Get the popcorn, applaud, get him, get him, because they're killing your enemy. But friends, when we don't compete, and that's, that's never our heart, but we have a specific mandate. The best thing any church can do is stay faithful to the mandate that God's given them, because then they bring that ingredient that only they have into their city, into their community. And everyone brings a piece. Everyone brings a part. And only God has that perspective. That's why it's never about one church. It's never even about one movement. It's never about one person. Never. God has a perspective we don't have. Amen? 
So celebrate all the other churches. Celebrate all the other believers. Celebrate what they focus on even when we don't and what we focus on when, when they don't. That's the way God sees it. So that doesn't help, you know, to, to compete. One church doesn't fight another. So as I had this thought of mandate and putting things in order, there, for me, the mandate is the vision. And God outlined, outlined a little bit of that last year. But we face challenges. One of the challenges being this facility. We're very grateful for this facility, but this is not our future. And we have to address that. We have to talk about it. We have to look at it a little differently. We cannot leave it unsaid. We have to begin to grapple and to deal with the future and actually have plans. Plans are good, yes? And actually put some things in place where we have plans, where we build towards the future. Does God need a house for his presence to dwell? No. I mean, the church is his house, but he doesn't need buildings. But in this culture, you need buildings. That just is. And in Africa, you don't. I've preached under trees and in caves and rocks, and they don't care if there's a building or not. But here, if you want to reach the community that you live in, you need a facility. And I'm okay with that. So I say, God will give us the best facility that we can possibly get. Amen? And we need that. But we need a plan. We cannot just trust God and say, well, that's great. Because what I've found, and please don't be offended by this, and if you are, I love you still. But every year we say, this year's going to be a great year, but sometimes not a lot changes. There's a lot that changes in the spirit. But friends, there has to be plans. There has to be structure. There has to be order. Things have to be put in place. And I really feel like we're going to do a little bit of that this year. Well, we still have, we're not letting go of anything to do with encounter, God's presence, God's power. Obviously not. That's who we are at our core. That's the ingredient we bring. We are people of the spirit. Yes? That's that ingredient. So we continue to press into that, but you have to put your house in order. For some reason, and now I'm going off my notes, which I shouldn't do because it's dangerous. When you have a spiritful church, when you have a, a, a people of the spirit, in some people's minds, definitely not yours, in some people's minds, it's like organization and structure comes against that. But let me say, the more organization and structure you have, the more God can do what he wants to do. What is the first thing Jesus did when he fed the 5,000? He had them sit down in groups of 50. Oh, that's administration. So that he could do what he wants to do. Yes? Amen. And my wife is with me. That makes me happy. We could all go home. We have to develop. The, the best way to speak about this is cultures. We need to develop certain cultures, if that's a nice fancy word for you. It's fancy for me. First culture we're going to speak about today is culture of faith, culture of belief. But most of the rest are practical things. Like what Sam, again, Sam did a great job. What Sam spoke about was a, developing a culture of testimony, which we want to... So there's many cultures that you develop in a church. But I'm going to speak about the next few weeks, practical body life cultures. One of them is a culture of generosity. Now in this church, for some reason, and God's really had to rewire me because I was taught from another country... We don't speak about finances as much. We don't speak about money. We don't talk about it. We don't bring it up. Next, year, next week, we're going to touch it. We're going to touch it. We're going to hold it. We're going to look at it. We're going to put my fingerprints all over it, and, and we're going to get comfortable and uncomfortable together, and I'm very excited about it. But friends, we have to change the way we deal with money in this church. Bottom line, have to. 
Because I believe God will always provide. Always, 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 always. But I don't believe that it's his desire that we scrape through all the time. It's not his desire. Because then we will never walk into what God says. We'll never walk into what God says. It's impossible. And for the last few years, we've been so intentionally not bringing it up because we don't want people to think we're here for money. Let me just say this. I pray you trust us. There's been some leaders in this church that have been here for over 10 years. I think they've proven that you can trust them. But I think it's time to move on how we handle with finance and how transparent and open we are and how we speak about it and how we talk about it because God needs to take us forward in that area. There needs to be breakthrough in that area. Amen? However, actually I'll say that next week. We're in trouble already. The suspense, yeah. However, my wife says I'm keeping in suspense. I don't think necessarily, necessarily, that money for a, for a, for a, for a facility should come from, in a sense, one storehouse. Because every time they built a temple in the Bible, it was other envoys and company. And I'm looking to get together with some of the businessmen and say, the money that comes from people, the money that you give to God, you don't give it to us, is for this house. And for what God wants to do. But to build facilities and out into the world, I'm looking to get with some businessmen like Paul did, like Aquila, Priscilla, all these people, and say, let's speak how to finance God's kingdom. That takes businessmen and women with a kingdom mind. Hello? But yet we will never peddle God's, God's word for money in this church, never. We won't do that. I was once offered a check. We prayed for a young person. God powerfully, they got saved, delivered, set free, the whole deal, crying. They went home, tore all the posters off the wall, changed the music, their friends group. Amazing. Life changed in one weekend. Parents wanted to see us. We went there, and the guy wrote a check for me for, for $2,500. And let me tell you, I needed it. And he said, that's for helping my son. So I said, sir, I cannot take that from you. Because if I take that, I've peddled God's word. I said, let me tell you, I don't want to be in that place because the lightning, it cometh. And I, I, I'm, that's not me. But we have to change the way we deal with money. We, so that's a culture of generosity with time and resources. A culture of trust towards each other and those in authority. A culture of worship and also a culture of clarity. Better at communication. Sometimes there's people that really want to help, but we haven't been good at explaining where we need help, how often, all those kind of things. Body life. Who's excited? I'm not going to look up. I'm excited. That's wonderful. If we can go to 1 Corinthians 10, that'll be great. I'm endeavoring to read some of this, and we're going to get into Numbers 13. We will go to 12:15. If somebody would let the children's church know, that would be helpful. 1 Corinthians 10. Culture of faith, a culture of belief. It says here, moreover, brethren, that's such a fancy word, 1 Corinthians 10. Moreover, I do not want you to be, I'm reading the New King James, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, they're speaking about the Israelites, they all passed through the sea, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, they all ate and drank the same spiritual food, or they drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. 
Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil. And he goes on. Now go down to verse 11. All these things happened to them. These things were destroyed by serpents and all these things. All these things happened to them as examples that were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages has come. Go to Numbers chapter 13. What are they talking about there? What does that mean? The Israelites, their life, I've always said, you look at the Old Testament through New Testament lenses. You look, the Israel is the church, you know, and there's m multiple things you can look at. What it's saying is that everything that happened with the Israelites in the desert was written as examples for you and for me upon whom the end of the ages has come. And you know what fascinates me and it scares me? Did Israel have God's power in the desert? Yes. Absolutely they did. Friends, they had the sea, the Red Sea doing crazy things. You watch the Prince of Egypt, you know, that little animated thing. I love that movie because it's just cool. But they had the Red Sea parting. They had, I wrote you, they had, uh, they had um, the cloud. They had the fire. They had the quail. They had manna. They had the tabernacle. I mean, supernatural activity every single day. They had Moses' face shining. They had the shaking mountain. They had fire from heaven. They had these things, yet they never, ever, ever entered the promise that God had for them. Can you have spiritual power and not become and not walk into what God says he wants you to do? Yes. And it says they were written as examples. <laughs> so friends, we absolutely, that's our passion. That's our passion to see God come, to see the supernatural manifest, absolutely. But can we see smatterings of that throughout, the, the, throughout Free Life Church and not actually take hold and walk into what God says? There were people who went up a mountain in Exodus 24. They sat down at a table with God and had a meal. Imagine that. Imagine that, friends. Really imagine. That actually happened. And then they came down the mountain and built a calf. Power, but it didn't take them in. It says their bodies were scattered in the desert. Can we have God's presence, can we have God's power and not actually take hold and not actually possess the promise that he says, this is who free life is? Yes, we can. And that scared me when I began to understand that. Because what will happen is the church will go on and 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 on. They will never multiply. They will never become established in a sense, in the natural. They will never continue. They will have blessings. They will have momentary uh, exhilarations. They will have all these things. They will experience God's power, but it doesn't mean they're going to go in and possess the land. And when you go in, that's when you impact the community, for real, not a person here, a person there. That's when a city has changed. Yes? Now, the wilderness is to us a gift. Believe it or not, the wilderness is a gift. The wilderness is a gift to get Egypt out of you. Egypt, as you know, represents the world. Canaan represents the promises over us, over individuals. But this month we're dealing with Free Life Church. The wilderness is a gift, friends. Moses, 40 years in Egypt, then 40 years in the wilderness. And it got Egypt out of Moses so that he could lead the people. She agrees. Amen? Sadly, the wilderness for the Israelites never got Egypt out of them. They died in the wilderness. 
because they couldn't let Egypt go. Let me just say this. When you're going into Canaan, when you want to walk into promises, Egypt makes no sense in Canaan. The world makes no sense in the promised land over your life and over this church. Egypt and Canaan, they're opposites. When you're in Canaan, when you're in the promise, Egypt is forgotten. Egypt makes no sense. How could I have thought like that when I was in the world and unsaved? And how could I have thought that way? When you're in Egypt, Canaan makes no sense. You cannot even imagine what God wants to do. And you cannot take Egypt with you into promise. You cannot. You cannot take the world's ways, the world's systems into the promise that God has over this church, over your life. It's impossible. So, Numbers 13. Praise the Lord. Let's read it. Because we better. This chapter, these two chapters, I think are, they have gripped my heart. I went over the leadership with this end of last year. I've read it probably 40, 50, 60, I don't know, I've read it and read it, and every time I read it, it, it brings life to me, it, it terrifies me. It's two of the saddest chapters in the Bible, I believe, the most tragic chapters in, in Scripture. So we're going to look at that. Numbers 13, verse 1, and the Lord, who knows the story when they sent spies into, into Canaan? Okay, we know the story. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. Who's giving it? The Lord. Giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a leader. There's the word leader. Sends out 12 leaders into this land. What's the point? Unless the leadership, there's a leadership in this church. And in the culture of clarity, we're going to make more clear who that is. But let me say, unless the leaders in any given church, unless leaders believe what God has spoken and said over the church will come to pass, the church will never enter it ever, 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 ever. And there are those who lead with us in this body. will not happen. They sent 12 leaders. Ten of them didn't believe. They all died in the desert. Who wants to be a leader? <laughs> That's the fact, friends. Unless the leadership says, I absolutely believe in that mandate. I absolutely believe in what God said. And we're going to, because of that, do X, Y, and Z. Unless there is that, it will not enter. Whether it's a church of 10,000. You can have a church of 10,000 that is in Egypt or, or in the wilderness. Numbers is irrelevant. It's impact in the spirit and impact into the city. But unless the leadership, so vital, believes in what God has said, the mandate of this church is, the church will never walk into Canaan. Never, never. Did Moses believe, the pastor? Did Moses believe? Yes. Did he have some Joshua's and Caleb's and Aaron? Yes. Did they walk in? No. Because the whole leadership wasn't together. Hello? Fact, right? Fact. That's why unity is so vital. Unity and, and leadership as a team. It has to be a team effort. So we chatted to the deacons last year about this and said, what do you, what do you think about? What do you dream about for this church? What do you see for next year? Because we have to be on the same page. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran. Verse 3, and it goes through all the names. We're not, gonna, we're not even going to try that. Verse 16, these are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy at the land, and Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Let me just quickly detract from what we're speaking. Fathers and sons, spiritual or natural. 
Had Joshua done anything? No. To name a person was an extreme honor. To rename a person was extreme. I believe in you. That's what he's saying. You're my guy. I believe in you. Had he done anything? No. Had he gone into the world, into the spied out the land? No. He came back with a good report. Let me just say it like this. Some sons, some daughters need to be believed in in order to empower them to do what you want them to do before they've done anything. It's true. I believe Joshua partly came back with a good report because of that one scripture. You're my man, Joshua. Changed his lenses, changed his perspective when he went into the promised land. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south. Moses asks them six things, if you can follow through. He said, See what the land is like. Go up into the south over the mountains. And he said, See what the land is like, speaking about terrain. See whether the people are strong or weak. See whether the people are few or many. Number three. Number four. Whether the land is good or bad. That means defendable from battles. Whether the cities they inhabit are camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether they are forests or not. Six, seven questions. He asked them six or seven, whatever it is, or eight, I don't know. But he asked them those seven things. He asked them those questions. Very important. We'll remember that. So they go. They went out and spied out the land. Verse 21. I'm just skipping over for time. They went and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob, next to the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron, and they had all those things. And they saw Anakites there, verse 23. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol, which that word actually just means cluster. And there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the valley of Eshkol because of, the, because of cluster, which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying at the land after 40 days. 40 days, very important. Why is that important? How many, how many years did they spend in the desert? 40 years. Why 40 years? Because they brought a bad report, you see in Numbers 14, God says they spent 40 days, in a sense, in the land of promise. I will give them one year per day they spent in the promised land. They will be in the desert. That's why it was 40 years. God actually says that in the next chapter. What's the point? And I don't mean to, I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm not angry this morning. I'm actually very excited, just so you know. But these are things, friends, we need to understand in order to go in. Who's tired of standing on the bank of the Jordan, looking at the promised land, saying, what must we do to get there? Amen? Yeah, Mark, I know Mark, you're with me, but because he tells me all the time, I want to be over there. Friends, we spy out the land. What is that? We have smatterings of God touching us. We have this. We have these. We go in. We feel like we have this little bit of a season, but it hasn't yet become a habitation. Why? You are held accountable for what happens when you touch the promised land. Whenever you have that move, whenever you have that event, whenever you have that God uses you mightily and you're like, wow, that was awesome. Friends, there is an accountability for when you've been in Canaan. How long and how far? how you deal with that, that's up to you. That's up to us as a leadership for this church, but up to you personally. There's an accountability for what God has done through you. Because they were there for 40 days, so they spent 40 years. That's why the power of God is no small thing. It's not just, while well, God's power. It's not flippant. It's power. And we are accountable for that. And if we're, as a church, are called to be people of the Spirit, to have encounter, to equip people, friends, we have to build strength. 
It says here, it says, And they departed there and came back to Moses and Aaron and the congregation of children in Israel. In the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, they brought back word to them and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Now imagine this. Just imagine for a moment. Again, we're speaking about free life. They send spies out. They're waiting. Firstly, will they come back? Are they going to get killed? What's going to happen? The 40 spies come back and they start telling them what happened. What's very important is to understand is that Israel, are they under slavery? No. They were not slaves. They were, I wrote you, they're in the desert. They are free. They're not under slavery. But are they established as a people? No. They're wandering in the wilderness. And I see that in people. I see that in churches. And unfortunately, there's some things I see like that in our church. Are they saved? Yes. They're not under Egypt. They've been taken out of Egypt. They've been taken out of the world. They're saved. They're free. Thank Jesus, I'm free. I'm righteous. I'm, I stand righteous. I've been set maybe from demonic influence. I've even maybe gone through deliverance. I'm free. I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm free. But does that mean that we are established? No. <laughs> I believe as a church we're established in the spirit. This is a church. God's hands on it. Always has been. Always will be. That I believe with all my heart. But I think we need to become established in the natural. Hello? Very quiet this morning. I, it's true. You can be established in the spirit, but friend, we need to become established in the natural. These people were free. They had, they had all the stuff going on, but they were wandering in the desert. Waiting for what's going to happen. And they bring back fruit. And imagine they see this cluster of grapes. You know, it had to be carried between two, a, on a pole between two people. And then we hear the bad report. You still good? Still with me? They're on the desert. Regarding us, I really believe, friends, that it's time this year to frame some rooms to become established in the natural which will change some of the ways we do things, will change some of the ways we speak about certain things, will change some of the way we even do some leadership things. Why? Because we cannot keep going the way we are. I love this church. I love you people. I really do. I struggled when we had a week break for New Year's. I loved the break on the day. I felt weird. I was like, it's Sunday. I'm not praying for anyone. I'm not preaching. I didn't get up, you know, before the sun. What's going on? But there's a part of me, I missed worshiping with God's people. I missed it. It felt like too long. That's just me. I love this church. I really do. But we cannot just keep going year after year the way we are. We cannot. We have to. It's time to go forward. It's time to go ahead. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yes. It's great, babe. You and me. It's great. You know, I'll tell you, when your wife believes in you, you can do anything. It's absolutely true. It's absolutely, I'll say that to the wives. When my wife says to me, I believe in you, babe, I'm like, I can conquer the world. But when she doesn't, I'm like, I, I feel very uncertain about myself. <laughs> that's, the, that's the truth right there. I have to look back to the Lord. I'm like, Jen, tell me I'm doing a good job, please. And then we have the beginning of the bad report. Let's get back to Scripture. Amen. Verse 27. 
They told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. The people are going, awesome. Nevertheless, <laughs> the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. It's just getting worse and worse. Like there's giants there. The Malachites dwell in the land. The Malachites represent flesh for the students and scholars. They, they, and, the, and the Canaanites represent your culture. But the Malachites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebu Hittites were a very warlike tribe. They were extremely scary. They were the Vikings of the day. The Jebusites, the Amorites, and, and they go forth and go on. And they give a bad report. Now, did they really give a bad report? No. They did and they didn't. Moses asked them, when you go into the land, look at these six things. And I read them out. The mountains, is it defendable? Is it? All they did, friends, was told Moses answers to the questions he asked. You ask these questions, these are the answers. And they were killed. They were killed. God put a plague on those ten people, wiped them out. And I looked at that going, we all know the story of a bad report, because it says they gave a bad report. Actually, they answered factually. This is what you asked. This is what's there. Why? Because they failed to see with eyes of the Spirit. They failed to believe God had said, that is yours. So they went in, they reported factually. They couldn't see with eyes of the Spirit. What is the consequence when leadership doesn't see with eyes of the Spirit? A whole generation dies in the desert. A whole generation. Millions of people. Because these 12 leaders couldn't believe what God had said would happen. Scary chapter. There's a promised land for this church. We've touched it from time to time. But we have not become established in it. We have not. Somebody once said to me, Lee, uh, Free Life Church is the best kept secret. And I thought, well, that's the worst thing I could ever hear. It shouldn't be like that. They failed to see with the eyes of the Spirit in a generation was wasted. Then Caleb tries to rescue it. I love Caleb. You know what I love about Caleb? God says, this man has a different spirit. You know those irritating people that believe God in everything? They're just irritating. You're like, really? Just let me be in my little worm pit for a little while. It's just like, well, God said, yeah, just calm down. But friends, that was Caleb. He had a different spirit. God said, this guy's a little crazy. Basically, he has a different spirit. The King James says, he went into the promised land for a different spirit was with him. That's the way the King James says it. He went with a different spirit, meaning to be of a different spirit, to believe God. He made decisions before he ever went in. He made decisions. He had lenses, perspective in him before he ever even crossed in. He went in going, I'm looking where we can poke holes. I'm looking for opportunity. I'm not just going to report factually. God has said this. I've settled that in my heart before I even go. And God said, this man has a different spirit. In other words, he's a little crazy. He actually believes me. And God likes that. He likes a little crazy. Then, 
Caleb quieted the people. So they hear this bad report. Caleb, in other words, there's a ruckus. They're screaming, crying, doing whatever they do. They, Caleb has to quiet them before Moses and says, let us go up at once and take possession. They've just heard giants. He's like, let's go now. Let's just go now. And that seems unrealistic. That seems crazy. Unrealistic faith and hope. No one responds to him. No one says anything. It's like he speaks. My dad used to walk around the house because, you know, we wouldn't listen to him and, and the dogs and wouldn't listen to him. And he used to sing this song saying, I speak to the walls and the trees. And it's like, no one's, actually, I'm talking to you. Be quiet, you know. He, and that's what I think Caleb felt like. He's like, is anyone even listening? He says, quiet, quiet, let's go now. We can do it. It's so unrealistic to them where they are. Because why? They've already heard too much. The bad reporters entered their heart. They've heard too much. She's not going back now. And that's what it's like for some people. People are more inclined to believe bad news because it confirms what their eyes see. You say, yeah, I get your faith, whatever, but look at that. That's how people are. It makes what leadership says and how leadership acts so very important, so vital. Then he gives the bad report again. We are able to overcome it, he says. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people. You know when you're trying to have a secret discussion with your wife across the table? We do that a lot. And there's all those people there, and you're giving each other eyes. You know, you're like, listen, stop saying what you're saying. Because... I know there's a context here that you don't know. My wife always knows a context. I don't know. And I get the eyes. Shut up. Don't stop. Shh, stop. That's what Caleb's trying to do. And it's like they say it out loud. We can't do it. And he's like, come on, guys. We can do it. That's what, and that's what I see going on. It says, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people. Caleb's like, oh, gosh. For they are stronger than we. Once that's said, there's no going back, friends. The people are now convinced it's impossible. And they, had gave, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report. Why? Because they reported only what they saw, even though that's what Moses asked. They gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone is spied out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And if you read Matthew Henry and many commentaries that I read, all that means is the land is so wonderful that there's been so many wars fought over it that there's been so much death in it because it, so, it devours its inhabitants. Therefore, the strongest people live there and you want us to go beat them. That's what they're saying. The land which devoured, and all the people whom we saw are men of great stature. Then they exaggerate. We saw giants. That's not an exaggeration. He says, we were like grasshoppers. No, that's just not true. If I hold a grass, they weren't that small. So now there's, there's an exaggeration. This is really terrifying. You know, they're 75 feet tall. If you want to be a grass, it's not true. And that's what happens with a bad report. You're like, it's bad, it's bad, it's really bad. It's impossible. It's actually this, and you start exaggerating the bad news. Then it says, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. Well, of course they did. Of course they did. Why? 
You see the response of the people, the first four, four verses. And the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. That is silliness. If only we had died while we were slaves, and we never saw the Red Sea, and we never saw the fire and the cloud and the protection and the water from the rock. If only we had just died. And they said, and the children of Israel complained, and said, only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord, now they blame the Lord. Why has the Lord brought us out to this land to fall by the sword? I wrote in my Bible, firstly, the Lord did not bring them out there for that. He brought them out for victory. Secondly, they never did fall by the sword. They died in the desert. It says, why has the Lord brought us out here to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? They never fell by the sword. Their wives and children never became victims. Their children went in. They died in the desert. None of thing of what they just said happened. It says, would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. And I'm going to read you this and then we will close. We see here a typical pattern, I'm going to have to finish this culture of belief next week. We see here a typical pattern of how unbelief starts in a person, in, in, in a body, in a, in a free life church body, in any church, in a family, in a person, even in a nation. This is what happens. You see according to the natural. First mistake. We all do it. It becomes easier to believe the negative our eyes see. That's the process. We're moving further into unbelief. They doubt the Lord and his intentions. Why has the Lord? Why? Because of what they are looking at. This is how we get into unbelief. They choose to rather go with what they can see and with what they can control. Even if it entraps them, they'd rather go back to the world. And that's how it happens, friends. We see people get saved. They get so excited. It's just amazing. They feel that, that sense of cleanliness. They feel that sense of righteousness. They feel that sense of boldness. I can enter by the blood. But they're still in the wilderness. And that lasts, who knows, new believers. I love being around them. They're just amazing. Then God takes them into a wilderness as a gift to get the world. He's taken them out of the world. Now he gets the needs to get the world out of them. And he takes them to get the world out of them so that he can use them with power so that there's a pure flow from heaven through this person. has to be purity. So he takes them and they don't like it because it challenges their little belief systems and it challenges their, it puts the fingers on the blind spots and no one likes that. And then their wife says something and it's the Lord and you're like, how dare you say that? And all these things begins to happen. Why? Because God's kind of trying to get Egypt out of you so that you can live in the land of promise. And it doesn't happen. And Egypt is still having its influence in the mind. So what happens? Now they don't trust God's choice. I'm not trying to keep my job. But that's what happens. They say, well, forget this Moses guy. Friends, let me say this. When God chooses a leader, it's his choice. I'm not just saying it about this context. Any, any place you go, if, God, if, if it's of God, don't touch that person. I'm very serious. Let God deal with him. David understood that about Saul. It's not your job. I, let me say this to end on, a, end on an awful note. I've been to too many churches all my life I've been in church. 
I've seen too many people come into a church, think it's their job to, to show everyone that this leader is not good. And let me tell you, those people's lives get destroyed. That is not their job. It's not. Let God deal with that man. Let God deal with that woman. That's not your job. That's his. And I've seen people try to do it to my dad. And I literally sidelined some of them as a teenager in all my mess. And I said, you need to be careful what you're doing. God will take you out. Don't touch the one he chooses. That's a fact. All through scripture. David understood that. It's one of the main reasons he took Israel where he took it. So they don't trust God's choice. They want to choose someone who will do what they think is best. Take us back where we want. Then they turn against those with faith. Because then Joshua speaks, we'll get into it next week. What is the response for the voice of faith in this unbelief? It says, stone them with stones. That's what they said, kill them. These guys brought faith. Well, just kill them. And that's what starts to happen. If you want to have faith, faith is difficult to exist in a culture of unbelief. Unbelief is difficult to exist in a culture of faith. What culture are we building? Do we have animosity towards those who seem to be like Caleb, have unrealistic faith, unrealistic hope? And are they irritating? Do we have a, do we, just silence them, kill them, silence them. And then they eventually try to do it anyway in the flesh because God wipes them all out and kills them. And they're like, okay, well, so, all right, we were wrong. So we're very sorry about that. Sorry, Moses, killed those 10 people. It's their fault. We didn't even believe him anyway, so it's their fault, and, uh, and we're just going to go in anyway. And God, Moses says, what are you doing? God has now said, you shall not enter. You go in now, you're going to be in trouble. said, no, it's fine, we're just going to go do it. And they all get killed. Because you cannot now accomplish in flesh what you couldn't believe for in the spirit. That's the pattern of unbelief. Now, we'll continue next week. I said 12.15. It is exactly 12.15. Friends, there are some changes we have to make as a body, as a church, in order to walk where God says we should walk. Amen? And I'm looking forward to this month. We're going to grapple with some stuff. I'll keep some friends, but I'm excited. I love you. Bless you. We'll see you next week.